everyone, and thanks for joining me on State of the Art Podcast. I'm your guest host, Dorothy Santos. For those of you who are confused, State of the Art decided to expand their niche beyond art and tech to include a variety of topics which have shaped the state of the art as we know it today. With this in mind, I've been invited to take over the podcast for a month-long discussion exploring queerness. In this episode, I speak with artist Anum Awan. Let me tell you a little bit more about Anum. They are a Bay Area-based interaction designer and new media artist. They were born and raised in Pakistan and came to the U.S. in 2008 to pursue a practice in art and design. They're a graduate of the Massachusetts College of Art and Design, as well as the California College of the Arts. Their work delves into mixed reality experiences by blending physical and digital media, centering queer, immigrant, and non-Western narratives. Our discussion includes conversation around Sufism, the distinction between art and design, and their explorations in sound. Have a listen and enjoy. My name is Anum, and I am an interaction designer, a new media artist, and a creative organizer. Oh, what what is what is a creative organizer? What's that defined as? So I, I think I came up with it with a friend a few years ago where we were trying to create spaces that were intentional and maybe even centered around art, but also community building. Um, and so we came up with the title of creative organizing because it felt like kind of like a party, kind of like an art event, but also like a really great way to like meet and connect with people. And we were doing this out in Boston where we felt like we were lacking those connections in community. Yeah, I've never heard of that, I guess, title before. So I thought it was really interesting to kind of learn a little bit more about it because my mind directly goes to community organizing, which is, I mean, they're not too terribly different. So, you know, they're not too, they're not too different, but I wanted to I always do things in a bit of an or- unorthodox way because I think a lot of people start off, what inspired you? La, 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 la. <laughs> no, we're going to do this a little bit differently because I actually wanted to, and I think this is also the way my my mind works. I wanted to first start off with your ongoing work, the digital Sufi shrine. Sure, yeah. And because it's an ongoing project, it's been going on since 2017, I'm wondering if you could first describe Sufism Mm -hmm. and your relationship to it. For sure. Yeah. So um, I guess there's many different definitions of Sufism, but broadly it's a a spiritual and mystical part of Islam that I think in different regions is practiced in different ways. But um, it's something that I was very drawn to when I was growing up. I grew up in Pakistan. fairly like Muslim, conservative surroundings, community sort of situation. And I felt pretty disconnected from from all of that, from this very mainstream, orthodox version of religion. And I think as a queer person, I realized like at a young age that I needed to maybe distance myself from all this religion stuff and um, kind of figure out my own path until I got into Sufism and I realized that uh, that that was my way that I could still connect with with not religious but more like spiritual and mystical um, sides of myself and my culture, um, while also being my full self. 
um it was very vague so i think i think as time goes on i can kind of put more words and language to it as i get older but roughly that's sort of what was going on for me and and i think when i discovered sufism i realized like it was it was all around me all of the music or the poetry or the culture that i hadn't really thought about the roots of a lot of things it was all within sufism and so that felt pretty validating and and then obviously started reading a lot of rumi and started getting um into like that kind of stuff um but that was a significant portion of i think my teenage years was um kind of being in the sufi world you actually describe the shrine as a part of a subversive practice mm-hmm. so you know you mentioned earlier that it is kind of an unknown maybe obscured um branching of islam mm-hmm. so i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the subversive side of it why why call it a subversive practice I think it's there's a lot of fluidity within Sufism there's there's a lot of space there's a lot of openness and there's a lot of emphasis on things like music and dance and poetry which is very much rejected within the mainstream version of Islam and and Muslim people so even even in Pakistan Sufi shrines are frequently attacked and they have become sites of of violence. So when I started this project, I wanted my Sufi shrine to be inspired by the Pakistani version of Sufi shrines. But you know, if you and I started googling Pakistan Sufi shrine and all you get on Google results is just a list of all the different bombings that have happened, um a lot of them very recent and I think that's when it hit me that this was this was more than just me creating my version of a shrine but i'm also trying to memorialize the shrines that we continue to lose and we have already lost um but that's sort of how the kind of reaction that a sufi shrine um can provoke within within people um so that's sort of what i mean by it. it's it can be very subversive Earlier this year you were a part of an exhibition. Well, it was from November 20, 000, uh, 2018 mm-hmm. to January 2019 and it was at Soma Arts Cultural Center which is in San Francisco. And it was a part, it was an installation and uh it was for an exhibition titled Reorienting the Imaginaries. So if you could talk a little bit more about that iteration of it. Was it the second iteration of the shrine? Yeah, it was the second iteration. And the first iteration was it was at Gray Area in 2017. So from and you're now working on the third iteration of it. Yes. So what has so I want you to describe kind of the subtle differences or how your thinking has evolved around it uh since the first iteration. Sure. Yeah, I think every time I get back into it, I almost choose a different aspect of it that I want to research and get really deep into. So, I would say the first one obviously was like the first one. Um, but it was more centered around creating a space which is meditative that feels um like you can transcend to almost a different um space while you're in it. I played a lot with lights. I was thinking a lot about multi-sensory experiences, so I had a scent in there and 
Um, so I like, yeah, there was like visuals, there was lights, there was scent, there was sound and it was, it was small and just a sort of a place where I think you, you almost slowed down and, and you were in it. And then when I got to the second one, I kind of wanted to switch it up and bring more of this energetic vibe that Sufi shrines also have. So traditionally, uh, in a Sufi shrine, a saint is buried. And so when you visit it, you would go um, into the building and pay your respects and your regards, maybe throw some flowers on the grave or pray, um, do whatever you want. And then, and then there's an outside part. But um, on certain evenings, there are uh, there's the mal, which is um, they're going to be uh, playing the drums, the dhol, and people are going to be spinning and whirling and doing um, that sort of like uh, ritualistic practices, and and that's the sort of energy that I also wanted to uh, include into my Sufi shrine. The size was a lot bigger. I would say it was maybe three times the size of the first one, so I had a lot more to work with. So I went with this concept of half of it will be the outdoor part where um, these ritual dances and practices are happening. And then the other half will be the indoor part where there will be a grave and, a, you know, commemorating a saint. And as I started working on it, I was taking videos from YouTube and just found footage from here and there to create this projection mapped environment of the outside. I, there was, I was just working with a lot of imagery of men and, and while these men are still kind of gender fluid in the sense like they have long hair, they're wearing makeup sometimes, they have rings, they have like shiny outfits. It was still like I was just looking at like videos of men for like hours and hours and hours. And so I realized like this was my Sufi shrine and I needed to add my own my own element of um, storytelling in there. So I kind of flipped it where the inside then became instead of being about um Sufi saints that already have shrines. It became about women from Pakistan that that we've lost, um, a lot of them to violence. Um, and people that I think, I think these people have been passing and I've been living my life and you know, something like this happens and I kind of like slow down and I process it and, and then I start going on with my life again. But I felt like I'd never really sat with what all these losses meant. And and so this project really allowed me to get into deep into like the stories of these people and and um, come up with ways that I felt like I could memorialize them um, and kind of process the grief and and so that's sort of how um, I almost like queered the narrative of the Sufi shrine in the second version. Yeah, no, I totally get the kind of unorthodox and it's already unorthodox because it's this kind of as you mentioned it almost seems like a branching uh you know um practice or uh belief and uh i think one of the other things that comes to mind is it's not mainstream i think you mentioned that in one of your writings and and description of the of the work altogether so here is something that I wanted to ask because you're also a designer and for a lot of people and an artist and, you know, and, 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 you know, you're, you're kind of delving into these different practices within the digital space and how you're mediating spirituality and you're, how you're querying it. So could you, it, well, here, is there a difference for you really in relationship to kind of art and design or is that something that it's 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 almost inseparable for you 
Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why I ask this. Is the reason coming? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but I want to ask you that first. Do you think that they're inseparable or is are they two kind of different things? I think it's I think it's both. Um so design has has mainly been something that I do as my day job. I was first trained as a graphic designer, now more of an interaction UX designer. And I find that very different from art. Like when I'm in those types of jobs, we are solving a problem. We know exactly what the problem is and we're trying to come up with ways um, to fix it. And, and the problem is usually around business goals. And so we're trying to get more customers. We're trying to get more people to use this product. Um, so I think it is creative work, but not in the same way as as the art practice, which is a lot more abstract, a lot more personal, a lot less about other people, whereas I think the design is maybe fully centered on the users, the humans, whatever. But but I think it does help me in my art practice in the sense that the design process, I really appreciate that. So it brings a structure to my art process. I'll probably start with research. I'll um, I'll do a lot of prototyping. I'll do a lot of different iterations. And so over there, I feel like there's an overlap between how I approach my design work and my art practice. But I think the intentions and the outcome are are very different. No, that's fascinating. I appreciate your answer. I think the reason why I ask is because when we look at design of any kind, whether it's 2D or an interactive experience, oftentimes it is associated more with a a company or an organization. There is definitely some commercial aspect of it, you know, hence, you know, working for a company. But I think it's also one of those things where design almost seems to flatten the artist working behind or the designer working behind kind of an image or an experience. And I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I ask Mm -hmm. because when something is in a gallery and or at an art center and is being shown, there's a specific artist that's called out, whether they're on the didactic or the, you know, the, the, the description of, of an art piece mm-hmm. being shown, but design doesn't work that way. Mm. You can see something on a bus, on a billboard, and oftentimes people will not ask the question, who made that? Because it's an association already with an organization. I think that's the reason why I asked, Yeah, you know, and if you had any thoughts around that, you know, this kind of almost, I don't want to say diminishing of the designer or the creator, but to a certain extent, that's kind of what happens when you look at visual culture Mm -hmm. at large, Mm -hmm. meaning you're just kind of walking around a city or flipping through a magazine, you know? So that's, that's one of the reasons why I ask and how you kind of handle that distinction. But in your answer, you so clearly kind of gave this really tidy, (laughs) neat answer. Um, Do, do those worlds ever collide? You know, where you kind of feel that being a designer actually inhibits some of the more abstract thinking that you would put into your works. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I feel like if you're maybe if you're not a designer, you you're not thinking like who made that billboard or who made that th- that magazine spread. But if you are, you probably are thinking about it. Um, I've started to mix it up a little bit. Like I'll do graphic design for an art production that I'm a part of. And and while I'm still very much in that designer role, I feel like 
I get shout outs all the time on that stuff, which is very different from if I was working with a company and I was doing some design work, there would be no mention of me. But the response or the way that people in the art world present my work, it's like they treat it like another piece of art that I made, which is is really cool. And I've been I've been really appreciative of that. Um, but you're right, like in general, it's treated like at the company level, like a service, um, you do a service for whatever company you made their visuals. Now the visuals are out in the world and it's very much binded with the identity of that company that you made it for. And, and your name totally gets lost in there for sure. So let me, so let's kind of circle back around and see, this is my style. I love being rhizomatic and branching. (laughs) So I think this also, it has an, there's another aspect of your practice related to working with musicians and composers and sound. So could you talk a little bit about that? And I do want to anchor it in a work, which is Donna Freedom. Mm. And I told you I was watching that. Mm-hmm. And the way that it is described is um, you're, in your description, you actually say at midnight, August 14th, 15th, 1947, a radio station, Radio Pakistan, came into existence at the same moment that the British rule in India ended and India broke into Pakistan and India. And people can learn a little bit more about this project online mm-hmm. on your on your Vimeo channel. But to anchor a little bit more and see your relationship with sound, I'm curious about how you worked on and developed Donna Freedom. Yeah, so Donna Freedom is something that I worked on at the beginning of this year. And it's the first project in which I've done the sound myself. Um, So I was very excited about it. I've been really interested in the partition of India for for a while now. I almost would say that's how I started my art practice in undergrad, working on an oral history project, um, interviewing people who were alive at the time of partition, probably very young, and had to migrate from one side to the other because of uh, religion and identity. And this this particular moment I have read about in the past, and it just has really stuck in stuck in my mind. So, so India was partitioned on the midnight. You could say it was the fourteenth or the fifteenth. It's like hard to say which one it is. But Pakistan claimed fourteenth as their Independence Day, and India claimed fifteenth. So that's how they celebrate the same event every year. And and because this was happening, they had to announce that this is happening. And and so the radio channel at midnight became called pa- Radio Pakistan. And the first announcement was announcing that Pakistan has been created. So, and it's a very like patriotic sort of announcement, obviously, and very intentional to make people um, feel very, you know, nationalistic sense of pride in this new nation that has been formed. And I juxtaposed the audio from that announcement with this poem by Fez Ahmed Fez, who is um, very renowned leftist Urdu poet, and and it's a really sad and and heartbreaking poem that he writes in which he's basically saying like this this dawn that we've waited for it's it's not the one that we wanted and we've lost so many people and um, he really gets into like the, the tragedy that this partition, this like slicing of land and creation of these two states really brought about. So in, in the video, I'm, I'm just, I'm sort of making a collage almost. There's, there's a radio. It comes out of 
space. The announcement is like literally coming out of the radio. And then it goes into this spinning 3D mesh or plane sort of visual. And that's basically a map of Punjab. Punjab was um, one of the two states when partition happened that the state itself was split into two. Mostly it was if you were a Muslim majority state, the whole of it went to Pakistan. And if it was Hindu or Sikh or something else, it would go to India. But Punjab was like cut through the middle and experienced some of the worst violence in this migration partition experience. And so the green parts of that... um spinning visual is is like the muslim majority side and then the orange is like the hindu and sikh majority but i I just sort of extruded it and and the viewer is just kind of watching this spin in the middle of nowhere essentially and in the background in a very similar style there's like an audio collage of the announcement and then the and then the poetry and um yeah what one of my uh really big inspirations is one of my good friends Aruj Aftab who is um a Sufi musician herself and um I was spending time with her in New York this winter and she showed me how to use GarageBand and and so that's how I I even like felt confident enough to put this together and I kept showing it to her but but when she showed me a few things I really I had such a good time making it and I definitely want to do more stuff like that I was really impressed by this piece Thank so you. I have to I have to say that it it made me want to learn a little bit more. Actually a lot more. I shouldn't say a little bit more, but I think that's one of your very many of many talents that you have. I think that was one of the things that of your recent work that really drew me into how sound and language and obviously I do a lot of text-based stuff myself. Mm. So this kind of enables me to see what the possibilities are and of a different type of storytelling or the, even the future of storytelling and how that can kind of happen. And that was one of the pieces when I was, wa- and I watched it several times. <laughs> and, and I were watching it the other day as well. <laughs> and I was watching it actually as you were just describing it, which I, in the show notes, I'm going to have um, this piece cool. so that people can can check it out and that can they can also maybe watch mm-hmm. they can watch it on their own but then they can watch it again turn down and then your voice mm. that's my hope is that it's kind <laughs> of this uncut director's kind of creator's cut but no i wanted to talk about it because i think it really it engaged me in how history can be told and what it might mean to you know um think about these ideas of freedom and resistance and also that boundaries aren't as clear cut. Mm-hmm. And these are the types of things where you top, you top that with queerness and then there's just a whole nother level of stranging happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so that was one of the other things that I had for you. And one of the other questions, you know, circling back around to queerness, which is the theme of this month. Yay. Uh, and how, how do you think your involvement and your kind of increasing passion and exploration into sound is going to evolve or, and maybe even be a subversive practice on its own? How do you kind of envision that? You know, you said that you just learned how to use GarageBand <laughs> to do the sound for this. That's pretty incredible considering this is kind of a, a first go around, right? So how are you envisioning how sound can play a part in your practice more? It's a good question. It's something that I'm thinking about these days as 
I'm I'm developing more work with with visuals. So live visuals. Um and I'm editing a lot of footage of you know some Sufi shrines that I recorded in Pakistan. I was there recently. Um some other stuff and and I really want to work with sound in this same sort of like I kind of describe like this video and some of the other live visual stuff I'm doing is very experimental. I'm not sure where it's going just yet, but I know there's a theme and there's um there's an alignment between like conceptually it's it's I'm I'm trying to tell stories about this non-western maybe maybe history, maybe future, it's confusing between time and space. Um but I think like a sound collage i want to i want to collect materials i want to yeah i just want to mix them up and and pair them with some visuals i've been i even when i was in pakistan recently just was making videos being out and about on the streets and i keep thinking about it there's such a specific sound that if you hear it and you don't have any visuals associated or i guess if i hear it i know exactly where it is it's like it's like bustling it's a lot of car horns truck horns people commotion like chaos and and it conjures up a lot of visuals in my head and similarly it happens in reverse and so it's like this loop that i think i'm trying to figure out right now so this is also leading me to the question about macrowaves. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, which is really interesting because I know we've talked before and I remember you saying how though those are really big waves, macrowaves. This is just like not a microwave, <laughs> not it's a, that or it's a giant microwave. But <laughs> <laughs> but I think one of the questions I had because it is an Oakland-based uh, experimental design collective. That's the way that the collective describes itself. Mm-hmm. So, how did you know Again, kind of the description of macrowaves is that you all kind of specialize in producing immersive experiences and, again, involving new media, involving conceptual art and storytelling. So could you talk a little bit more about an upcoming event that you have? I believe it's with other futures at Gray Area. You're going to be participating in that. And could you talk a little bit more about what you have planned for that? Yeah, totally. That's that's my solo thing. That's not with macrowaves. Oh, okay. Um, but I can talk about macrowaves and other futures. Yeah, no, please talk about both. Yes. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll start with macrowaves. They are an Oakland-based collective like you just described, and I am their newest member. And we've been fans of each other for a while, I would say. I was following their work, they were following my work, and then we collaborated in in March to do the environment design and live visuals for Club Chai's three-year event. Um, that was at Public Works on March 1st. And it was, it was, it was such an amazing experience. We all collectively love Club Chai and I love macrowaves. And so for me, it was a dream project in so many ways. Um, it was my first time VJing, doing live, first time for a lot of things, I would say. And it was it was really successful. And and I think after that, we realized that we all work well with each other and we have very similar interests. And um, so now I work with them and I'm part of them, I guess. Um, 
and we're and we're developing plans for for the next year um a lot of just installations where we're trying to take some things on tour maybe at the end of this year early next year so starting to think more about what does it mean when an immersive installation is modular or what does it look like to collaborate with people in different places on creating installations over there um So I think there'll be more information about that as we get things finalized, but that's super super exciting right now. And in terms of other futures, um that's a really cool show that's coming up in in June. It's on June 14th, and I will be doing visuals alongside um Sharmi Basu who goes by Beast Nest. Um uh she works with electronic music, does a lot of um live performances and so we're just going to be jamming together on the stage and um also another pretty big big deal i think <laughs> um and it, and it's great because i'm collaborating with my friend um rahima who is based in pakistan um on my visuals so we are oh, how's how is that working so that's that's pretty great so we talk every sunday we've been doing this for four weeks now we kind of um have known each other about each other's work mainly through the internet i mean we went to the same high school for a little bit but didn't know each other back then um but on instagram we've just been obsessed with each other's work and we're like okay we need to like start talking and and do something about this like energy that we have um for each other's work so um i've asked her to join the show with me and we were trying to figure out how do we do this long distance sort of collaboration and um And so we're both working on editing the the Sufi shrine footage and some clips and making some some videos just in After Effects and Cinema 4D. And then I'll be performing by VJing those clips live at the event. Um but it's it's like a really wonderful collaboration like as I'm even getting into the the live VJing part like she's helping me figure out like my software, my MIDI board, it's like sending me tutorials, knows exactly like what stage of the process i am in over here and is almost doing research for me and like sending me materials um and and yeah feeling really good about that collaboration as well and we're kind of like we should do we should do more of this stuff so we are also in in conversation about maybe in a couple of years having an audio audio visual um event festival in pakistan um since we are both from there and and just kind of collaborating on smaller things up until then. Wow, an audio visual festival. What do you envision that being like? I mean, and I think dispel this for me and the reason why I say this is because I think a lot of people think of music festivals mm-hmm. right off the bat, but you're not calling it it's a audio visual festival. So what is something here? Let me ask you, maybe it's a thorny tough question. What do you envision in an in an audio visual festival that currently doesn't exist? Like forget about money. Like that's mm. like if money wasn't an issue, what would would that look like? How would it be different? Um like globally or in Pakistan in particular? Well, let's start with in Pakistan. Yeah. So I think um in in Pakistan I would say the music scene and I'm also I've been out of the loop for a while so I'm also through Rahima and her introducing me to other people and I'm, I'm learning more about what's going on over there um but in terms of the music scene there's there has been a pretty thriving music scene over there um electronic music also pretty popular in in some parts but not a lot of 
visuals, kind of lacking visuals. And I think more and more people are getting interested in this idea of these immersive experiences that when you go to listen to music, you are also experiencing visuals at the same time. And I think there's a little bit of a DIY scene right now. Some people are starting to do little shows or pop-ups, but I think our vision is to to really showcase people over there who are working in this realm of audiovisual in whatever ways, which I think we don't even know yet. Um, she sent me this interesting video the other, the other day. Someone kind of set up a projector by this really like historic old like monument and projection mapped it. And it's just stuff like that that I think I've been waiting to see all my life in some ways. And and I'm really excited because I think we're 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 getting there. Mm-hmm. And and for me, it feels so good that finally I can whatever work I'm creating in the US I can just take the same thing and do it over there because I think up until now it's been very separate, but I'm finally getting to a place where where it's all becoming the same and I don't have to code switch or change it or or make it for one audience or another audience. It's just my work. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as I mentioned because I'm really stuck on this idea of if money wasn't an issue, where would you projection map your work? Oh. I just changed the question a little bit because and 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 just for listeners who don't know mm. what projection mapping is, could you give maybe a two sentence description? Totally. Um so projection mapping is basically taking the light from a projector but masking it out in a way that maybe it only hits certain objects or certain surfaces essentially it's not a giant rectangle that comes out of the projector but it's more intentional and more more designed and i think if it's done well it almost looks like magic it looks unreal because it's really hard to to tell how the projector is doing it oh yeah i think so many people have watched that botan dolly video exactly. that's 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 kind of Houdini projection mapping. Oh, yeah. So, and again, link in show notes to, to everyone who's listening just so that, you know, you can you can kind of get in on the conversation. So, yeah. So, let's return to that question. If money wasn't an issue and you had any place, space in the world, where would you projection map? Wow. Never thought about that. Um I mean, I'm just going to say whatever's coming in my head right now, which is a really like big open space. Um, it's in Pakistan for sure, but it's, it's almost outside of the city and, and people just, people have made their own surfaces for projections and they're interchangeable, but we just have a really big space where we can chill, sit on the ground, be out, like be outdoors. It's at night. And and we're just surrounded by by sound and visuals. You know, I always think of I think of really kooky things. So one of the things that I thought about was 
Whoa, wouldn't it be awesome to have a really foggy night and then project on the fog? The fog. Oh, that would be interesting. You so know? actually, Lahore, which is the city that I'm from, has a huge like smog problem. Um, but that's I wasn't going down that route, but yeah, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but literally for the months of like December and some of January, like planes can't land. It's really hard to drive. Like it's so opaque almost. You probably could projection map it. That's, okay. That's <laughs> even though I didn't want to go down that route. I, but yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah, I guess. Like, right? Okay. Just to give some context. So there's a new like music series that started in Lahore and it's called, um, Smog City Sessions. Oh. It's like that bad. Wow. But, and their logo is just like this, like little cloudy things that spell out. I mean, it's really sad, but I think people just kind of have to find some humor in it or like ways yeah. to work around it that's such a very donna haraway staying with the trouble you know like mm -hmm. what let's just deal with the mess that we have versus making more shit yeah to kind of cover up or band-aid you know it's like why why don't we kind of deal with the mess that's that's kind of um in our midst mm -hmm. so see i knew this would go by really fast because it has um there is this tradition mm -hmm. At state of the art, where there's like rapid fire questioning at the end of every interview. Mm -hmm. And so, kind of to round out our conversation, I'm going to ask you questions and oh, yeah. you can't think about them. You just have to answer them. And if you think about them, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, let's just go ahead and, and, and do that. What is your favorite pattern? Um, diamonds. Okay. What? is at the moment, because I feel like everyone I've spoken to is just like, I'm reading all the things at the same time. What is, or always constantly reading and can't, can't answer this question easily or the next, but what is your, at the moment, favorite book? Oh, I just finished Parable of the Sower first time and very mind blown. I'm going to go back to it again, but I just started reading um, Lilith's Brood now. Oh, yeah. Nice. That's good. That's nice back-to-back -back reading. Yeah. What is your favorite film at the moment? I can't even remember the last time I watched a film. Of all time. Oh, very bad with film. Um, I won't take that personally since I'm a film and digital media person. <laughs> I just, I find it really, really hard to watch movies and I forget them almost instantly. Well, what about, what about maybe a conceptual like video or an experimental film or maybe an immersive like, experience that you've, that you've seen? I really like, um, like Flying Lotus videos. Oh, totally. Okay. That's a good one. Yeah. All right. Last question. What's your favorite scent? Um, I've been, okay. So Hash oil and roses. Ooh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I didn't even think of combining those things together. That's really lovely. It's been amazing having you on. Yeah, so thank, thank you, you so much. This really did go by really fast. It I did. thought we were just getting started. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the point, you know, um, just for audience members or listeners to get a taste of kind of what your practice is all about. Do you have anything else that you want to share? Any kind of parting words for the listener? Um, no, it's just been really fun. It was really nice getting into um, some of these topics. And yeah, just thank you for, for inviting me to do this. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us on State of the Art Podcast. You can learn more about Anum Awan at anumawan.com or follow them on Instagram at anumawan. Be sure to tune in next week as we speak with artist Yasheng Sheh.